Deborah said it this morning and I just sparked. She said, remember, we recovered all. Remember in the scripture where David almost got stoned by his own men because while he was away fighting the good fight. I don't remember what people it was, the Midianites or the Perizzites or the, the Deuteleites. I don't remember who it was, but somebody came in and took all their family off and everything. And the men were so distraught that they almost stoned David. And uh, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord, stirred himself up and went and recovered all. And I'm telling you, this is the day of recovering all. Not this day, but this is the season of recovering all. Everything that you lost back when you wasn't believing, you wasn't caring, you wasn't, you deserved it. That's, I guess that's what we would say. That happened to me, but I deserved it because I was not serving God and this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter. We recover all. It doesn't matter what we did wrong or how we should have done better. He did better. He did better. So because he did better, we'll have better. So I'm recovering all. I am and uh, I have and I am recovering all. I have and I am recovering all. Say it with me. I have and am recovering all. So that would be our health. Well, I'm older now. I, that's just what happens when you get to be this age or whatever. And so I expect and I, I don't uh, try to get out of what's happening in my body because I'm older. I wouldn't put that kind of thinking on one bit. He restores our youth like the eagle. Uh, so uh, we, we're putting up with none of it. And chronic is the evil word of this day. For our faith, chronic is the evil word. We put up with it none. So resist the chronic. Something That's something that's ongoing. Anything that's ongoing. Sometimes people get a... Uh, you know, you, you, you fall and you hurt yourself or something. It's not chronic. But the chronic is our enemy and we are not putting up with it at all. Well, amen. I want to talk about uh, a, a subject that's exciting to me. I'm calling it the harvest is in the seed. I may change the name of it. It just depends on how it goes and where it goes. But right now it's the harvest is in the seed. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, we looked at this uh, last Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's a, there's a, look in verse 9, if you would with me. Isn't this marvelous that we can gather together yes. and uh, share the word, break the word. As it is written, so that means somewhere in the Old Testament, it is written. And I guess if you look in verse 9, uh, wherever that would be, it's written, I hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So we could stop there and say, well, we just don't know. But the word says in verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Isn't that interesting that the spirit searches the deep things of God. The Trinity is very interesting, isn't it? How it works. Uh, it's, uh, people say I've, they've got it figured out, but uh, then maybe not. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save or accept the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Amen. Aren't you glad somebody knows? And then in verse 12, let's read it together. Verse 12, ready, read. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Wow. God Almighty, the creator of all things, has no beginning, has no end. The word says that we know the things that are freely given to us by him. What a relationship that is. What a connection that is. We're not just worms and just specks of dust and insignificant. We have been imparted the very things that he has planned and assigned to us. Then in verse 13, he says, which things also we speak, 
not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, which would be religion and philosophy, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he do that? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the flesh man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. So here we have verse 12. Let's look in verse 12. Now we have received. We have received. We have already received. Past tense. It has happened. We have received not the spirit of the world. We, we were born with that. But we were born again but with the spirit which is of God. So we talked about that. The spirit which is of the world is the spirit of reason. The spirit of the intellect. The spirit of knowledge. Those things which are discerned and you can get them by education. You can get those by experience. Uh, but we've not received those things as an addition. We were all born with them. But we had to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he said, but we have received, we would transpose that, we have received the spirit which is of God. So that's the spirit of faith. Faith is the opposite of reason. Reason calls things which you can see as though they were. Faith calls those things which be not as though they were. So we, we, we receive the spirit of, uh, we receive the spirit which is of God. That would be the spirit of revelation. There is no revelation in knowledge, is there? Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. But the spirit of revelation knows things which cannot be known or discerned by the natural, by the senses, by the flesh. So he says that's who we are. We don't live by what we know or what can be learned. We know we live by what is revealed. Remember when the Lord Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are so much more than what we were created. We are so much more than natural man. But if you treat yourself or limit yourself to being a natural man, you'll live as a natural man and you'll have troubles because reason or experience or knowledge has troubles. It has a limit. It cannot discern. It cannot uh, find the answer. It cannot get the way out. But revelation can. So he said, why? That we might know. The word there is understand. That we might understand. So we're in a process. I'm in a process of understanding or discerning or unraveling what's been revealed to me in the spirit. It's not a download that all of a sudden you know everything. Revelation is progressive. The more you know, the more you can know. The more you know, the more you can know. So it's a journey. It's a progression. It's what you do from now. And tomorrow you can know more. You can learn more. You can be more. Well, where is it? Well, it's all inside of us, but we have to unravel it. We have to learn to mature in it. So we could say that we might know would be the spirit of of. Uh, of knowing to the point of speaking and acting. Isn't that what faith is? True faith is a, is a knowing. How much do you know until you're speaking it and until you're acting on it? Faith has to know it to the point of speaking it. If you are un unable to speak what you say you're in faith about, you're not in faith, you're in knowledge. I am the healed is different than I'm going to be healed. I hope I'm healed. I'm planning on being healed. I'm waiting on the manifestation. That's a famous one. So that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. We might understand those, that we might know them to the place of believing them, to speaking and to doing. So grace, that last part, the things that are freely given to us of God, that's grace, isn't it? Everything that's given to you by God, that's grace. Barry's testimony this morning, and just that, he talked about the grace of God, what, 
What's ours? It's everybody's, but the Spirit of God reveals what is ours. Suddenly we know things that we could not know any other way, and we know them. John 10, 10 said, I have come. The Lord Jesus said, I have come that they might have life until it overflows. Overflowing life. It's out of the cup. It's over the bounds. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a flowing uh, come. I have come that you might have life till it flows. Well, regular knowledge or understanding, as he talks about here, the spirit of the world, cannot overflow. It's just life. It's just you get up in the morning and hope for a good day, but you just never know what's going to happen. That's how the world would say it. So I'm going to say that reason is not sent by God for us to live an overflowing life. It's not reason. Well, God gives you brain and expects you to use it. Isn't that something they all say? Well, that's not true. He did give you a brain and he does expect you to use it. But that's not where he lives because he's not a brain. He's not a soul in the sense of that's how he communicates. He is spirit. And I am spirit. Are we spirit? So he's going to be transmitting or relaying our future, our assignment, uh, revelation by the spirit. Not by reason, not by rationale, not by education, not by experience. You can certainly learn a few things by experience. I hope you did. I, I, I learned, I've been learning quite a bit. The other day I learned don't trip over a vine and face plant yourself because it'll hurt like thunder for a week. Hallelujah. So uh, reason is all the world has to scratch out a life. And some of them are pretty good. Some of them are dumb as a rock. And we've all been dumb as a rock. Or in Alabama, they say a bag of hammers. So we have to say, I, I, we're just laying down some, some foundational things, that you can't go where God has assigned you unless you have truth. Because he is only dealing in truth. Truth is revelation. You can't see it until it's revealed. You can't see the new birth until it's revealed. You can't hold it. You can't put it in a box. You can't frame it. But it's real. How is it real? It's been revealed. Healing many times until you actually feel it or have a change in your body is revealed. Well, I didn't get it yet. They prayed for me, but I didn't get it yet. Well, that would not be revealed. That would be just reason. I still feel the same as I did. So you can't go where God is assigning you to go and living the life you're going to, supposed to live without truth. Or you can't go based on lies. Lies would be religion. Religion says you never know what God's going to do. We can know exactly what God's going to do. It's in the book. We know exactly. He's so predictable. There is no mystery about him. And if you'll ask right, he'll tell you everything you need to know about your own life. Everything. Now, Revelation's progressive, so he might not tell you the end of it until you've asked about the front and the middle, but he will tell you if you'll stay on track. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Yes. Amen. So uh, money is the root of all evil. If you believe that, you're not going to be where God assigned you because you're going to shun money. Well, you've got to have money. Money is revelation. Uh, God withholds things to keep you humble. He takes away your job. He might take away a child. He might uh, cause you to lose your job or something. And if you believe that, well, then you're not going to be where God assigned you. You're going to be out there where the world is. Um, you can't expect a harvest. If you believe that or if you think that's something that's in God's uh, quiver to shoot an arrow to you, you're never going to be where he assigned you. Is that right? Uh, God can get mad at you and slap you around. If you believe that, if you, uh, if you believe God's in control and things happen for a reason, you're not going to be where God's going to assign you. Because that's not revelation, that's not truth, that's not God. That's experience. Uh, uh, if you believe that it's hard on the earth and that it will be hard until we get to heaven. But the Lord Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So you have to get that by revelation. 
because some days don't turn out so good when they start. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Y'all seen that tribulation? But be of good cheer, he said, I've whooped tribulation. I got to the other side of it and I took you with me. So you won't have a life. Here's what I put down. I wrote this down. I won't have a life beyond my understanding. What's the limit of life? Well, it's luck or it's just uh, how things happen or if you, uh, if you got dealt a good hand. No, it's completely, this is, this is the difference between reason and revelation is that you can't have a life beyond your understanding. So if you want a better life, how do you get a better life? Well, we'll just pray and we'll ask God. Or it's up to him, whatever he wants to do. No, it's based on my understanding. So if I understand more, I can expect and even demand a better life. Now that seems a little hard. That seems a little contrary. That seems a little, a little uh, stoic. But it's absolutely the truth. I believe that this thing that's going around and always has been, but I'm going to address it this morning. This thing about God is in control. I believe that actually that's dishonest. Not only is it not true, it's not right, but I believe the people that say it are being dishonest. I don't believe they believe it. I believe it's a cop-out. I believe it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a bunt. It's a punt. It's, a, it's, it's something to say that puts people off because who can say God's not in control? Who can say that? Who can push back on that? Well, I can, and you can and so God is not in control. Well, it, what, what about that? Well, he put us in control. Well, how come it's not going better if I'm in control? Because we don't know we're in control. And so we're letting the world dictate to us what it has. And until we push back, till we bind on earth, it's not bound in the heavenlies. Till we loose on earth, if we speak to the mountain, it changes things. If we give... It'll change things. It'll be given to us good measure, pressed down. Uh, if our, our prayers, they avail much. What does that mean? It changes the future. If you sow, what's going to happen? Something's going to happen that changes and upgrades your future that would not be there if you had not given. So God's not in control. Bless his heart. He put us in control. He put Adam in control. If you read that, you see Adam was given the whole thing. To tend and to uh, keep the garden. He blew that up, but Jesus got it back for us. So the transaction is revelation. How do we know what Jesus did? It's by revelation. You have to read this. You have to meditate this. And then you have to let the light shine in here. And when it shines, you see it. And when you see it, you can seize it. So that's where we are. We're all endeavoring to transact religion into revelation. And it's a process because you have to work things out, don't you? Things that have been there because somebody of authority put them in there. Some preacher or mama or grandmama or, or somebody put it in there and it was settled for that moment because you didn't have any way to push back. You didn't have any way to say, that's not true. Revelation is the only way you can push back. And until you get that, you just say, okay, God's in control. God wants you poor so he can keep you humble and all those sort of things. Uh, the verse 12 that we were just in, now we have received not the spirit of the world. In the Passion, it says we've received uh, not the spirit of the world, but to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. Oh, my word. The things that are freely given unto us by God, translated to understand and to experience all of that grace that has been lavished upon us. So that means there's more than we know. In other words, as good as it might be and much better than it has been, there's more yet. How much more? Exceeding abundantly above all you've ever thought, meditated, imagined and asked. So Revelation's progressive. Wherever you go, there's more. However far you grow and go and, and, and find out what God said is true, 
He said, I've got stuff that you couldn't handle. The Lord Jesus said that one time, didn't he? Didn't he say, I, I got more to say, you can't handle it. And so there's more to say that we haven't been able to handle it. But as we push forward and as we say, I want more, more comes, which then opens the door for more yet to come. So where religion is static, you got all you're going to get. It is what it is. Don't you just hate it is what it is? It is what it is until I say it isn't. That's how it is. It is what it is until you say it isn't. That's good. So until we get out of it is what it is and get into revelation, it is what he says it is that I believe and act on. There's always a future. Religion is stuck. It is what it is. It, uh, everything's done. It's going to be like it is. We know everything that God's going to do. We, we've got him in a box. We locked it up. It's tight. He can't escape. We won't let him out. But we're out there. What does God have for me? Stay tuned and pay attention. So we said, I said, but we, we agreed that you'll know what to do in 2023. I'll know what to do. Well, you know, probably it's always been there. You'll know what to do in 2022. I mean, it's not like God just opened the door and said, okay, now I'm going to do this for you. But it's applicable now. We could handle. You'll know what to do in 2023. It, it lives. It, it, it illuminates. It's the season for saying, I'll know what to do in 2023. Just like there was a time when we said, there's plenty more where that came from. It fit. It plugged in. There was a time when we said, you'll know, you, uh, uh, God's not through with you yet. And everything is turning out amazing. Those were things that the Lord has inserted in our life to keep us tied in and keep us plugged in till he could reveal more. He's got more. And you and I can go as fast as we want. Uh, so I talked about seeing your season. Seeing your season, let's think about that, is just a matter of setting priorities. Things that used to be important to you might not be important anymore. That's certainly true for my life. Things that I used to say, that's, that's the bomb. Did you ever... I told you all about that car show in 1972 that I went to in Amarillo, Texas and saw that Grand Am. And I said, I will never be happier than when I get one of those. Whew. <laughs> Had a little revelation since then. We've all moved on either by experience where you got that. I, I, I wrecked our car. Uh, somebody pulled out in front of me in Seminole, Texas, a little Malibu, a, uh, a 72 to Malibu and my dad was out of town. I was a first, certain amount afraid of my dad because he was a penny pincher. He was a money cruncher and we didn't buy nothing fancy or happy or sporty or fun. But at only in three times in his life, he was out of town. And I didn't wait for the check to come in. I went to Lubbock and bought me an XR7. It was a two-door. The doors were 27 feet wide, I think, something like that. <laughs> it was red, had a white vinyl top. Y'all remember vinyl tops? You had to get in the back seat through the front door. It was terrible, but it was wonderful. And I had me a little splurge. I had me a little thing that dad was out of town. I'll bless the Lord. I'm going to go buy something and say, well, dad, I thought you'd like this. It was just a lie all the way. Everybody thought I was a fool except me, and I enjoyed it. But it wasn't anything. I wouldn't have one now, and I'm so ashamed I got one then. They're terrible with kids. Y'all ever put a car seat in the back of a two-door? Hallelujah. Uh, but what we do is when we set priorities, we bank all of our assets on that priority. Now listen to me. When you have something that's a priority, that means it's up front. It's ahead. It's on top. And so when we think about that priority in view of other things in our life, we put our assets and our energy 
and our focus on the priority, whatever it is. And if it's a good priority or if it's a poor priority, it doesn't matter. We bank on our priority. Y'all remember being young? I mean, like real young? And you go, well, that was a crazy priority. Well, sure, but it was real. And that's what we did because that's how we thought. We didn't have revelation. Get all you can, can all you get. Sit on the can. So we said last Sunday that a typical church with typical Christians has a typical lifestyle. And there's two kinds of people, many ways to divide all people, but in a church, a regular church, there's the haves and there's the needy. And I'm not talking about under the bridge needy. I'm not talking about not having a good car or just starting out. I'm not talking about that kind of needy. I'm talking about needy where your perspective is based on what you don't have. Haves don't think about what they don't have. They're always thinking about what they're going to get next. But the needy or the have-nots are just thinking about what they don't have. And that's their focus. And you can't get ahead thinking about what you don't have. So I've been, since I've been studying this, I've been listening to people differently about finding who they are, assessing them, just listening, not, not telling them, but just saying, are you a have or are you needy? And you listen to them talk about money and how they're willing to pinch pennies on something that should be a priority, something that should be important. They, they just want the littlest and the smallest and the, and the most. They're, they're needy. They're always saving up or covering an expected needy season. Now, I'm not talking about that's wrong. I'm just saying that's their whole perspective about everything. They never get over into an area where they're flush. I have kinfolks. Y'all probably have kinfolks too that have uh, plenty. And yet they are set on living on their Social Security. I mean, there's plenty. But bless God, we ain't touching the plenty. Y'all know, do y'all have these people? It doesn't matter what's in the, in the back there. We're living on, and if, if, they, if we have an expense, what are we going to do if the furnace goes out? Because we're living on a, what they call, uh, what's that word they put? Uh, fixed income. Needy people live on a fixed income, no matter what their income. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't, don't, don't be thinking that's not right. This isn't true. Let me, fin- let me, finish, let me finish this out because there's exceptions to this. You may say there's not, but you may think there is. So the haves, what makes them have is different than what you might think. The haves are not people that were lucky or married right or had an inheritance or had had an education and got a good job. That may be true of all of them, but that's not what we're separating here. The haves have understanding. They understand how life works. So even in their craziest moments of buying an XR7, bless the Lord, they had their head on about the rest of life and it paid off. They have wisdom, there's a graciousness about them, and they're ministry-minded. They wanna help people. Those are the haves. But the needy side of every church, every family, every group of people, is that they're always thinking about right here and what I need. And here's how sometimes they think. They'll hear about somebody buying an expensive something and they'll say, that didn't even matter to them But if I'd had that exact same amount of money for my life, I could have done this, this, and this. And they resent that. The needy resent the haves. 
Can y'all think about that, how that works, how people are? I, I've thought that way before. Man, they spent five grand on that. It won't mean a thing to them, that boat. And that would have paid us out and got us out of debt. And we could have breathed a little bit. And here we are sitting in front of them every week. And they know our situation. And, you know, and, and you just go on and on and on. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's a needy side of life. And the only way to get out of that is through revelation. You have to see it. It's not a matter of you got more money and so you broke out of it. That never changes it. Like I said, a lot of people live on their social security and they've got so much more. They've got so much more that would help so many other people, but we're not touching it because we may need that. Uh, Third John two in the passion says, beloved, I pray that you are prospering in every way and continually enjoy good health just as your soul is prospering. So that tells you it's not a matter of economics. The kingdom is based on revelation just as your soul is prospering. So it's understanding. It's what you understand that makes you have and what you don't understand that makes you have not. So life flows up when you're in revelation, when you're in understanding, when you're in wisdom, and life flows down when you are needy, when you're just thinking about what you don't have. You notice it's always thinking about them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, if you would, please. Now, this is not deep, but there's a lot to it. But then on the other hand, when you get through, you'll go, that was nothing. There's nothing to it. Look at Matthew chapter 25. We looked at it last week. Let's look in verse 29. So money or life, life to the full. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life that overflows. Life flows to some people and it flows away from other people. I said life flows towards some people. Doesn't seem fair and flows away from other people. So it's not a matter of the economy getting better. It's not a matter of someone giving you ten thousand dollars. You know the statistics about lottery winners, winners and people that get inheritances and all that sort of stuff. It does not change their life after three years. Five years after winning the lotto, almost all of them, almost all of them are in debt. So what is that? It wasn't an influx of money. He said, for unto everyone that hath shall be given. Everyone that hath shall be given. So here's the kingdom. This is how it works. And he shall have abundance. So I could say I have and I have abundance. Would you say it with me? I have and I have abundance. Now you're choosing either to say I already am there or I am moving there by revelation. But I have and I have abundance. Well, what, what, what is Uncle Jack? Is he sick? Is he going to are you in the will? Or what is it? I have, and I'm having abundance. Because the word says, for everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. So life is flowing towards you or flowing away from you. And it doesn't matter what so-called lucky break you get, it dissipates if life is flowing away from you. That's why you can't help some people. The poor are hard to help. Why is that? Because no matter how you help them and no matter how you set them up, life is flowing away from them because they're needy. They're thinking in terms of need. They're thinking in terms of if I had that, I'd have a better life. And that's not the way that them that hath think. They think I am and I will continue. And the needy are think I am not and I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. I have a lot of problems, not problems, challenges, myself personally, dealing with the poor because I know what the word says about the poor. And I am stirring up my compassion as best as I can. I'm working on me all the time that when... 
though I've been burned, and I tell you, I've been in the ministry 43 years, and I can tell you I have never, ever, not one single time that I recall given to the poor and that it changed anything other than just delay or continue the process. The poor stay poor. I've brought them to church. I've given them Bibles. I've, I've, uh, I've bought them power bills. I've paid their rent. I've, uh, I've hauled them to the work, pick them up at seven in the morning, haul them to work, pick them up at four, haul them home, do everything I can to get them from being needy to being a half. But without revelation, without having, it never changes anything. It always pulls against whatever I'm doing, just talking about my story, pulls them back to where they really are and they can't escape. Now that's just 43 years. There may, and you say, well, let's quit helping the poor. You can't do that because you shut up your bowels of compassion. We are to help the poor, but we can't always help them like we want them to be like us. So you just help them. But they're not even discontent being poor. They're not even discontent being have-nots or being needy. Things that you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, they'll jump out of your car and go jump into a, a place where they live or a, just squalor, just squalor. I mean, and you're like, I want to help you get out of that. And I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying I've never had success. Maybe I didn't follow through. Maybe I didn't keep on going. Maybe I didn't spend two years. But places like uh, uh, Canaan Land down south of here, where Matt Gober used to take in men that had just lost their life, very small percentage of people got changed. I mean, they would put them in a work camp. They would ever had Bible study every day. They would make them sleep all together and keep them away from bad people. But when they got out, when they graduated in two years, almost always, not always, but almost always, they would go back to it. It's very, I guess you'd say discouraging. But that's how it is. But it doesn't have to be because everybody in here now, myself included, we're all, we have been close to needy or have not thinking. That's because before Revelation, we had what it called the wisdom of this world. And somehow we got hungry. Either it was a testimony of somebody that was around us or being with someone that was steady, that was Godward. And one day, like the prodigal, we came to ourselves and said, I must rise up and go to Father's house. And that's what changed you and me. It wasn't necessarily an intervention that says, poor baby, let me get you a job. Let me take you home with me. Let me feed you. Let me give you $100 and let me get you a car. I'll change your life. Well, you can't change anything till you change what's inside. So we have to have wisdom even helping them. So on with that, uh, verse, uh, verse 29 says, But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. The passion says, and the one with hardly anything. Even what little he has will be taken from him. Plug your life into that. And you'll see why things happened that happened. It wasn't the world. It wasn't luck. It wasn't good or bad. It wasn't the devil even. The devil's here to enforce the curse, but it wasn't even the devil. It was me. I always had a way of escape. That's right. We always had a way of escape, but it, we thought it was money or uh, other things. So I, I ran into this, uh, this uh, secular concept and they call it the 90-10 rule. And I've been studying it. It's secular. It's not, it's not Bible. But it does, all things that are secular reflect the truth of the word. So I looked at it and uh, uh, this, uh, this rule, this 90-10 rule, it's based on where you, sh where you and I should live, where we should work, and, uh, and how we set goals. And it's based on two things, 
majority and minority. So it's not really 90-10 any more than in the, where the word says that uh, it's a 30, 60, and 100 fold. Y'all remember that? Well, that's not based on exactly a 30 or a 60. It's based on a third, two thirds, and all of it. So this is a 90-10, majority and minority. And so it's, it's, it's a general saying. Let me just go through this. And, it, and what they said was, is people very often make their living choices based on misplacing priorities. I've certainly done this. That XR7 is a big example of mine. Transient and paradisal factors play majority roles. And what I mean by that, things that are ethereal, things that are in the soul. Uh, they have access to do things like I did that XR7. Dad was out, of, he's only out of town for two days. But you can buy a car in one afternoon. <laughs> I signed up, I financed every, every dime and dollar of it. Uh, so they have access, but they have no revelation of it. And so they want to live, these people, and we've all been there, We've all been there where we wanted to have an unconventional life. We wanted what those people had or even more than those people had. We didn't want to be who we were. We wanted to be something else. So I wrote down, or I, I, I wrote it down, three examples that they gave. Listen to this. I, I don't want to bore you, but I, I do want to make a point. A family wants to move to the suburbs to get a bigger house with a guest room. In making this move, the father will double the length of his commute. While the guest room will only be used a handful of times each year, the long commute will impact him twice a day every workday. The benefit of the guest room is not likely to increase his and his family's happiness, but the stress and time of the commute may diminish it. Number two, a man takes a high-pressure job he doesn't enjoy to live close to his extended family. While he sees his family a couple of times a month, the stress of his job beats him down every single day. Number three, a couple wants to move from a city in the Midwest to a city in the Mountain West in order to live near the Rockies. Once they do, and the mountains are just a 30-minute drive away, they find that they don't actually make it out to them many more times than they did when they lived eight hours away. In the meantime, the fact that their cost of living has dramatically increased affects nearly every aspect of their lives, diminishing the size of their house, their savings account, and their vacation bus budget while increasing their overall financial stress. So you go, well, those are weird people. No, we've all been there. We've all been on vacation. I, a hundred times been on vacation and said, wonder how much the property is in Tennessee. Don't tell me you've never done that. Or wonder how much a beach house is. And if you got this far away from the beach, you could probably do that and we could get a job here. We've all, we've all been drawn into that scenario. I know because I've had lots of friends that all said, yeah, we thought about it and tried to figure it out, but couldn't do it. And so you have a 90% majority of your life dictating a 10% of the reality of your life. And what it is, is what makes up happiness. And so we begin to think, this is what would make me happy. Why? Because I so enjoy going to Tennessee and getting in the mountains. I like the beach. Don't admit it if you don't like the beach. Just, just, just keep it to yourself. We don't want to know if you don't like the beach. Because we, we might think things that you don't want us to think. So just say, oh yeah, beach is good, beach is good, yeah. But, but it affects us all. And then we want to go on vacation and take trips and cruises and all, all the stuff. I'm just using it as one small slice. Here they had an example of they wanted a guest room or they wanted to live next to their extended family. How weird is that? <laughs> this thing's not based in reality at all. Uh, but it didn't turn out because you begin to think that an XR7 is going to make you happy. And I was nervous around my dad until I got rid, rid of that thing because of an implied stewardship that he wanted me to have. And I had, I had blown it up while he was out of town. Here, I was gone two days and look what you've done. You know, took all the fun out of it for sure. Uh, 
So there's a sexiness, if you can use, it's a worldly term. I use sexiness just as a, you could say fashion. It's a, it, there's a, a sexiness factor that's in the mountains, that's in the beach, that's in whatever that we would say, I'm going to attach a priority to that, but it's not a true priority. It, it cannot produce what we're really after. It's going to take a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of commute or, or whatever. And we don't think that what we're doing will make us happy. So if we go and engage that, even if we never go, we always hold the picture of it on our refrigerator saying, oh, if we had the good life, we could be there. Retire, retired at 42 years. Um, part of my one day, someday, was a uh, motorhome. And you'd go to these places in, in our little camper trailer, and you'd have all these full-timers that were just uh, naval admirals or businessmen or whatever that had lots of money. And they, we, they'd go around in these mansions on wheels, and they would just stay there a month. And then they'd pick up and go 3,000 miles away and go somewhere else. And you go, wouldn't that be cool? Would that be cool? No. It would not. But we dreamed about it and figured on it and spent time thinking about how could that happen or something a, a, a derivative of that. Am I talking to y'all at all this morning? We're not talking about the extremes. This is extreme, but there's all sorts of little things that work inside of us, and we're trying to get that. We want to beat the system of all these drones and all these regular people that are just going to work and mowing their grass and making their payment. We don't want to be part of that. We want to be of something that's sexy or exciting or romantic or, or out of the box where they all say, oh, yeah, we had a neighbor one time and now they're off doing this and off doing that. We would like to have that. And so if we could, many times we would make the move but somehow we're kept out of it. Our dream is so big, we can't really trip over and make it happen. It's based on perspective. What do you think will make you happy? So I want to go back to that scripture that it says that ye might know the things that are freely given to you by God. We can have revelation to know what God has given us. In other words, my assignment. Anytime we think in this 90-10 rule, many times we're thinking outside of our assignment. Think about the motorhome thing that we thought about. You would never go to church. You'd be estranged from your church family. You, you'd say, oh, you, you'd make up something. Well, we could, we could preach at this campground and we could, we could share the God. You, you start making up things that are dishonest in order to make the thing plausible and to give the thing some wings to see if we could get it to the next step. But you have to make up incredible things that look at you like, really? You're going to preach at every campground? You're going to, that's going to take the place. So you live in, an, in a, 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 a world. So you become from being a haver to being a needer. And we're already havers. And everything, let me read it again, that you might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Everything we need is here. Go to the beach. You go to the beach every month. Go to the mountains. Get you a cabin. Get you a cottage. Go up there. Do whatever. But don't do something crazy because you won't be happy if you know what you know in the kingdom of God. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, please. I know this is a little peripheral. I, I do. I know that. This is not learning how to heal the sick or all of those things. But where I'm going with it will be. But we want to get this in. In Mark chapter 4, verse 20, it says, And these are the things which are, and they, these are they which are sown on good ground. Say good ground. Good ground. Good ground. These, are the, these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word. Oh, hear the word. Hear the word. Revelation comes from hearing the word and receive it. Oh, you could hear it without receiving it. And then because you hear it and receive it, 
He said, the good ground will bring forth fruit. How much fruit? Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. Now, that's a promise. What are you and I looking for? We're just looking to be pleasing to him because after this short little whisper of a life, this vapor of a life that we're going to have, 60, 80, 100 years, whatever you can do, this is not our real life. This is just setting us up for the real life. We're going to be here a thousand years with him, ruling and reigning. This life is not that life. So we don't want to squander and piddle off this life and miss that life. So he goes on. Let's see where we're going here. uh, Verse uh, 21. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? So he's talking about the purpose of the candle. Is that right? And for there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Nothing. Neither. So he's talking about the candle under the bushel. He said, it's going to come out. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. So the Lord's not hiding anything from us, is he? Including happiness. Including fulfillment. Including the grace to fulfill our assignment, our course, to run our race. And if any man have hears to hear, let him hear, let him understand. And he said unto them, take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, or give out, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Shall more be given. So he's talking about what havers do to have and to keep receiving. How do you do it? Well, I get more money. I got to get a better job. I got to make my family happy. You know, when you move out to the mountains, a lot of times we don't realize, or we do, our kids are already eight or 10 years old and they're leaving, they're leaving, they're going at 18, or at least you hope they do. And so you do, it's just a blink in time. You've changed your whole life so you can look at some rock and be in the mountain communities or whatever you do, ski or whatever people do. It's a, it's a small return. Doesn't mean that you don't have a, doesn't mean these aren't real. Because for some people, they really are. That's everything. And you say, well, just go on. But we're talking about people that really don't know what, and they dream. And he said, he that hath, verse 25, to him shall be given. He that hath, the word hath there, means to own and possess. So he that owns and possesses, it means to adhere to and cling. So whatever is important in your life, is only those things that you have, that you adhere and cling. It means to involve the whole being. So he that involves the whole being, he that's got everything invested to him shall be given. And he that hath not, he couldn't hold it. It was taken away. He that hath not, it was taken away. From him shall be taken away even that which he hath. There's no justice in that. There's no worldly justice. Because what we would say in the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, you got five, the man with five got five more. The man with two got two more. The man with one got nothing more. He said, take the one that the man that got nothing more and give it to the man that had ten. We don't like that. We want justice and equity and and equality and and fairness. But that's not what the kingdom says at all. The kingdom is very concise. If you have, more is coming. And if you didn't bother, if you buried your talent and you didn't bother to do with what you had to do, even that which you think you have, you're going down. Life is moving away from you and there's no way back except to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So it goes back to, are you hungry? It's coming. If you're hungry, it's coming. And that's why we're here this morning. Lots of people are in bed this morning. That's true. Amen. So, uh, verse 22 in the Amplified. Let me read this to you. This is interesting. Things are hidden temporarily 
only as a means to revelation. Oh, so God gets things to us by working us into a place where we can see. For there is nothing hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything temporarily kept secret except that it may be made known. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. So it's not enough just to say, I was in church, Lord. I didn't sleep all of it. I was there when the music was playing. <laughs> and he said to them, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides. Could we say that together? And more besides. So there's revelation that just says exceeding abundantly above what I could ask or think. More besides. There's what you see and then there's that which is coming that you hadn't seen. More besides. And it will be given to you who hear. For to him who has will more be given. And from him who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away by force. So, what do you see when you look at life? If you see need, life is flowing from you. If you see a seed, everything I've got, what was it, uh, five loaves and two fish? Or is it two? Yeah, five loaves and two fish. Jesus was only thinking about, what have you got? He asked them, what do you have? They said, oh, I don't have anything, Lord. There's 5,000 men and their families. All we have. And Jesus said, ah, but you have. It's a seed. The seed, the harvest is in the seed. So the miraculous or the hidden, that which was hidden was brought to light. What couldn't be seen by the needy was seen by the understanding. Them that Jesus that hath. If you have anything, he said, we can fix this. So whatever you're facing, whatever I'm facing, you've got to look at it right because the harvest is in the seed. What you need is in the seed. It's not in him. It's not in the government. It's not in my job. It's not in moving. It's not a cheaper house or a, a, a clunker car. It's not. Because if you trade down to a clunker car so you can have the money left over, Walmart will get it. It's a rule. <laughs> if you don't give it to God, Walmart is going to devour it. If you say, well, as soon as I get my kids graduated, we're going to, me and mama are going to be flesh. It isn't happening. Do you all know that? Yeah, I, I get this kid graduated. We're going to have money everywhere. So this, the disciples saw lack and Jesus saw a seed. And the Bible says that every disciple, 12 of them, each had a basket left over to take home. How about that? It wasn't 11, it wasn't 7, it wasn't 14. It was one per each. Every man that was in the miracle got the benefit of working in the miracle. So we should never consider that there's not enough. If you consider there's not enough, you are considered needy. And life it's true. It's flowing away from you. You're having to work real hard to keep up. But if you consider yourself, I have and more is coming, then you have and more is coming. And it just shows up. Debts are canceled. Bills gone away. People change their mind. It has to happen. I said it has to happen. Gravity is pretty pervasive. Nobody argues with gravity. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It's strong, it's weak, it's what? It's the one constant besides the sun coming up and down that we have. And I'm telling you, this law is stronger and more stable than gravity. You can count on it. You can say that's the way it is and that's the way it'll always be. So the harvest is always there. Where is it? It's in the seed. So we're not trying to take an offering here. We're not, we're not speaking of these things so that you'll give to River Church. 
That's not it. It's so that you'll, so you'll have life flowing. Not to think it's this or that. Well, we got to get, we got to get, we got to move closer to the mountains. We got to move up the hill so we can see trees every day. That's not it. You might do that and nothing wrong with that, but that's not, that's not going to get you out. It's not going to make you happy. That was a good word. If you have ears to hear, the Lord wants to, he wants to, he wants to raise this up. All we want to do is see things as they really are. Because if we know that if we jump off the barn, if we know gravity is going to pull us to the ground at 16.3 feet per second or whatever it is, you might not jump. And we just need to know where prosperity is. Not even so much money, but life. He that hath, to him will be given, and he shall have abundance. So there's a reason you're blessed. So Lord, we thank you right now for multiplying this revelation, this light into our spirits, our hearts. And Lord, we say right now we're going to make adjustments. And we're going to rid ourselves of that lack and that needy thinking and that way of life that our parents or that our situation or that our first marriage or that whatever got into us, religious preaching, grandma doing the best she could, but she was wrong. Lord, we just deny all of it. It's not truth. And say, Lord, we will change now. We will turn. We will do it your way from now on. We thank you for feeding us. We thank you for revelation coming that flesh and blood that is not revealed to us, but you, and we say yes to Jesus. Jesus, we say yes, yes. to you. I say yes to you, Lord. Yes. Whatever, whatever doesn't fit or doesn't look right, I still say yes to you. And that's the only way it's going to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Let's stand up.